411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. 411 My guest has endured a crippling lifestyle. One, she says in her book, Don't Rush to Get Old, was designed to destroy her destiny. Get this. She was a drug and alcohol addicted call girl, molested as a toddler, raped as a teenager. She's also an overcomer because her present looks nothing like her past. As she would say, but God. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. And my guest is April Bentley. And she's joining us from the car because uh, her son has a baseball game. So, hey, April. <laughs> hey, Beverly. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Now, we will talk about, you know, your experiences, your deliverance, your organization, and how your organization is helping young girls in preventing some of the lifestyle that you ended up in. And of course, your singing ministry. You've got so much going on. But, I got. But first of all, you know, when in the introduction I said, but God, when you look at your life and you look at all, uh, all of it as a whole, are you overwhelmed by where you are today? Oh, my God, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, I still sometimes stand in the mirror amazed mm. um, because I know people that have dealt with that, you know, have experienced not even a fraction of what I've experienced and they're still extremely broken um, and they're just living a life and, you know, it's downward right. in the spiral. And I'm like, wow, okay, God. You know, it's all God, because honestly, you know, I couldn't do it in my own strength. I couldn't smile. I couldn't go day to day. I couldn't engage with people. It's a lot of things that I could not do um, have it not have been for the Lord. And that's just the truth. Yeah. I was thinking about the first time that I met you. I was still working at Fox 6 News as a reporter, reporter and anchor, and I was doing a story on sex trafficking. And I interviewed you and I think three other three other women and you told me your story some of your story and it stayed with me it really did um and then I thought about um our past crossed again when I did a story concerning the organization that you had formed Ruby's yeah. and you know and, and talking to some of the young girls who were taking part in that program tell yeah. me tell me what Ruby stands for Ruby's is rare, unique, beautiful, intelligent, excelling sisters in Christ. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. tell me a little. Tell me a little bit about that organization. Refresh my memory here. Yeah. So Ruby's was designed, of course, with the youth in mind, mm -hmm. um, and we focus on identification, awareness, and prevention of sex trafficking. We work with all who identify as female, age eleven and up, and our goal is to just reach, teach, you know, explore. We want to be able to uh, reach all those who are uh, 
vulnerable who are targeted on the targeted market for sex trafficking um, and teach them how to be aware, how to protect themselves, how to identify what it looks like, what it sounds like, um, you know, even peer-to-peer trafficking, how to report any suspicious uh, behavior anonymously so they don't have to feel like they have to put themselves out there. And then, you know, to allow the, the children to explore beyond the four walls of their community. It's, it's it's so important that our children have an opportunity to to venture out and see things that they would not see just stuck in the four walls of their community. So we take a lot of cultural outings and we do a lot of great things that they would have never thought that they absolutely enjoy. That is wonderful. And I remember when I did the story and I was talking to mothers, parents of these girls, and they were so grateful for this program and talking to some of the girls and they had experienced instances where they were able to identify someone trying to, you know, reel them in for Uh sex trafficking, but they Uh knew the signs and they recognized it because they were going through the Ruby's program. And I'm sure you've got stories like that, right? Oh, I have some great stories and I'm just so, you know, it's an honor to be able to pour into the young ladies, but not only that, know that it sticks, Mm. you know, know that it sticks. Cause there's a lot of things that, you know, we teach our children, but there's a, a, a quote that I always use. It's not what they're taught. It's what they learn that makes the difference. Right. So once they learn it, they learn the importance of using what they're being taught. That's, that makes all the difference in the world. And some of the girls, um, in particular, I just had one of the young ladies who is one of our alumni. She's in college right now. And she was, she took a trip from college with uh, her friend, her friend's friend, and her friend's friend's friend. So it's four young ladies all together, and they took a trip over to Miami. And day one, they were supposed to be getting a tour by a guy that her friend's friend knew. Mm-hmm. And this guy picks them up, and he comes with, he's in this a large SUV with other gentlemen in the car. She said once they got in, he was driving, doing about 100 miles an hour, just really flying, just really reckless on the road. Um, She tried to let the window down, and she recognized that there were child locks on the vehicle. Um, So she said, can I let the window down? And he said, what do you need windows down for? I got air. So he turns on the air. but he, she said the whole time he watched her through the rear view. She said she just had the worst feeling. And he said, yeah, I'm going to meet with my brother. I'm going to have my brother meet us. And two of you all can get in there with him. And the other two can stay with us. And she's like, no, this doesn't sound right already. But she said, I remember Miss April said, if, you, if it feels, if you think it's not right, if something feels off, begin to plan a way of escape. Don't mm. talk about it. I'm just a very direct young lady. When I talk to these girls, I say, don't talk about it. Be about it. You don't have to give an indication that you're going to do anything. Just plan the way of escape and then execute. So she got her phone. She said, I looked at the Uber app and I had my finger on this Uber app. And believe it or not, she educated me about Uber because I never drove the Uber. I never took the Ubers. But she said, you push the Uber and it'll tell you how far the nearest person is to you. So they know your location when you push this Uber so when they pull up she noticed there were two vehicles out there and the first thing she said is that doesn't look like a brother and so the guy said oh yeah it's you 
you're going to be the one, huh? You, you know, you're going to be the one that's going to give me the problems. You're the smart one, huh? And so she said, I'm whatever you say. She said, I remember you said never become combative, never go back and forth with them because you don't know. And when that car stopped, she pushed that Uber app and it showed three minutes away. And she said to the young lady who was next to her, not her friend, but her friend's friend, okay, the Uber's coming and when it comes, we're getting in this Uber. So when they pull up, this vehicle full of guys, two vehicles full of men, and this Uber app pulls up in three minutes. She, they open the door. She jumps out. She, she says, we're getting in this Uber. And you're getting in this Uber, too, with her friend. And her friend's like, what's going on? And she's like, you don't know what's going on, but I know what's going on. And, and the guys were just so caught off guard because they didn't expect that to right. begin with. Now, could that have been a different situation? Mm-hmm. Was it necessarily going to be trafficking? No, but it definitely was not something good going to happen in the end of that and she said it was about two minute debate and all of the girls ended up getting in but one she said the main girl said I'm not going and she said you know they were just like you got to get in you got to get in everybody got in and she eventually came in the next day but and they didn't talk about it I guess they kind of had a little strain or what have you but all the other girls got in and she Mm. said Miss April I know that what I did saved our lives and that you know, yeah. I had her come in and she shared that story with uh, the students at a girls' night in, and the girls sat at her feet and ate like, wow, wow. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Ruby's, uh, I am so glad you're doing this. Um, April, let's, I think what is, um, that makes you so successful with that program is you're teaching what you know. You're not teaching something you read in a book. You're not That's teaching right. something you heard from somebody else. These right. are life experiences, and you draw that expertise from that. And so the kids, they've got to be drawn to you because yeah. you know yeah. what you're talking about. Yep. You know? Yep. So let's talk about some of your, your life experience and to the degree that you feel comfortable with. So you, you be a guide to that. But I was mentioning in the introduction that um, you had been assaulted at a very, very young, young age to begin with. And you mm-hmm. detail a lot of this in your book, Don't Rush to Get Old. So kind of tell, tell us a little bit about your story. So um, I can start right, you know, the book. It's interesting how um, when I heard the Lord say to write my story. I thought it was just something I need to get off my chest. Mm-hmm. So I began to write, and I'm not a good typer, right? So I'm like, but I'm typing, and I'm typing, and I mean, all the memories of all the things that I even suppressed and things that I had just completely blocked out began to just overtake me. And there were moments when I had to just stop and pause mm-hmm. because that very first memory when I was two, I could see the basement. I could see my tea set. Um, I could see everything. You know, um, I could see my mom and, and, and everybody partying over there. And I could see it, it was so, it's just so detailed how the memory was. Um, my mother came in and she said, oh, it's time to go to bed. And she picked me up and she said, we're going to pray. You know, this is something that she did. She prayed with us often and she read from the Bible. She didn't take us to church because she didn't believe in church, but she believed that there was God and God was always listening. He was going to be there to aid and assist when you needed him. And so I remember praying and she laid me in the middle of my brothers. I have a, an older brother and a younger brother and I was two. So my oldest brother is two years older, and my younger brother was just a baby. And I remember that relative who came and picked me up 
and it would often happen. But I remember that first that that first memory that God had given me when He picked me up and He took me right, literally within feet of my mom, from her to the next bedroom, where He began to perform oral sex on me, and that went on so long in my life because He would say, "You my favorite, you my favorite niece. You know I love you. You're my favorite. Don't tell anybody. It's our secret. You know you can get anything from your uncle," and. That was the beginning of it all. I remember just feeling, um, you know, I can't really explain my feelings at that age. I just knew that it was wrong. Yeah. And even though I couldn't talk about it, I just didn't. I was. I just knew that it was wrong. And it went on and on. And and at the age of, you know, five and six, you have your cousins, your older cousins, who were trying to touch on you and fill on you in the bed. And then, you know, at my eleven, at the ten year old. Um, my mother had a friend who was a very wealthy woman who would always ask if I could spend the night. And my mother would say, no, you don't have any daughters. You have three sons. And she'd say, I know, but that's my, I really want, I want a daughter so bad. You know, let me just take her out and shop and, you know, treat her out. And she had this big old pool in her backyard. And I remember my mother finally said yes one day. And she took me to the mall and bought me all these pretty clothes and bathing suits and took me back to the house where her sons were. She had three sons at the time. And then um, we all got into our bathing suits. And I remember she was like, here, try this on. And I was going to go in the bathroom. I go, so you could try it on right in front of me. And I said, well, my mom, doesn't let me see her naked and she doesn't want any you know she doesn't see me naked like that she goes oh that's what girls do when they're alone it's okay so I was like oh you know I'm 10 I'm thinking well maybe my mom just don't know right so here I am changing in front of this woman and little did I know this woman was videoing it she had a video on a, a tripod that was you know watching me she took a lot of pictures that day I just was a kid I didn't even you know think there was anything wrong with that but that night and she had this really big house that night she said well you can sleep in the room with me and I was like oh okay because she has this fancy room you know and I remember waking up and that woman was literally on top of me as if I was a, a man or she was a man and I was a woman and she was videoing that and that memory was completely erased completely mm. erased I it, the trauma of that um it set so far in the back of my mind when I began to write when that came back that memory came back I remember just gasping for air just like whoa I remember that and a lot of those things that yep. happened um I sent a copy of my my book to my mother and my dad they were the first two copies I sent them and I remember both of them calling me and like, that never happened. Why did you not say that? When did this happen? That's not true. They were just so in a place. And I described everything in detail. And at that moment, they knew mm. that it happened. I was just this little girl that was trapped. I was trapped in this world. And no one heard my voice. No one saw me. I was invisible. Wow. Wow. Mm. I remember um, now there were there are a lot of other things like a, when you were fourteen, I think. Um, yeah, at fourteen, I was raped, yeah. impregnated by the rapist. The rapist lived across the street, um, and I remember that was before they had the, um, you know, where you would have to be a lifelong registry now for sex offenders. They didn't have that out, but I developed so quickly at thirteen. 
I, I woke up with a 36C sitting on my chest. And I was like, whoa, what is that? And I began to become really self-conscious about what I looked like because I went from this little stick figure to like this woman yeah. in my body. But my face remained childlike, yet many men, many approached me. And you could clearly look and see that I was a child. And the man that raped me, my mother, she just knew she said, I don't like the way he looks at you. He was 25. And, you know, today we'd say he was a good looking guy, you know, well-groomed and uh, mannerable. You know, hi, speaking all the time. And my mother said, mm -mm. something about him I don't like. Stay away from him. And that I didn't listen to the voice of my mother when I was standing at that bus stop that morning going to school with a friend. And he pulls up in the old school and he's like, you need a ride? And I'm like, no. And she was like, girl. Let's get a ride. I'm like, no, my mama told me to stay away from him, right? Yeah. And he's like, it's freezing out here. Y'all better come on, get a ride. I'm taking y'all straight to school. She was like, what are you going to do with both of us? And I'm like, probably nothing. Okay. So he's got, you know, the old school with the long seat. Mm -hmm. So I open that door and I slide in. And as soon as I slide in, he pulls off. And that door was swinging and she was standing there. And I had never given myself to anyone. So. That was a very traumatic experience because he kept asking me over and over, are you a virgin? I was like, I don't know, because I didn't know what that meant. And um, once that act was over, he was like, oh, you were a virgin. And there was all of this blood that I went on. He took me to school and I went through that side door and I sat in the class just sitting there and everybody was like, uh, clearly something's wrong with April. I didn't even know. You know, th that's that's how... The event was so it was so, it was such a blackout moment for me that I didn't know that there was blood on me and I went in and my mother blamed me. She said it was my fault because I didn't listen to her. Oh, and wow. at the time my mother was spiraling out of control. And so things were we were going this way and we were in one house. But I was pregnant and I remember just, you know, praying and praying to God, please God. I'm a baby. I'm a child. I don't need a baby. I don't want a baby. I don't. Wow. And at five months, the baby, the heart stopped. And okay. that was the end of that. Okay. We're going to stop. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and resume this riveting story. Stay with us. You're listening to the 411 Live. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Let 211 be your guiding light. For help with food, health care, and other resources. 211, how can I help you? Call 211 or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. If I could be you, and you could be me for just one hour. If we could find a way to get inside each other's minds. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Well, before you abuse, criticize and accuse. Walk a mile in my shoes. Hello and welcome back to the 411 Live. I'm talking to April Bentley and she was in, in the middle of her life story. And we just heard the horrific uh, saga of um, being raped at 14. Um, let me go down to 
I remember when I did the story with you, it was talking to you about this friend, this, this, this woman who was almost like a big sister, a best friend kind of thing. But really in actuality was a groomer, right? Yep. So things were a little rocky at home at this point. And she was that person that you could kind of go to, that you could trust. Yeah. And I remember your phrase. And when I called you to tell you I wanted you on this podcast, I mentioned that, that phrase that she used to you saying, do you trust me? So I know this is a long story and kind of getting it short because we have a lot to talk about, but that was that that was really a pivotal episode for you, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me again, she um, was kind of became that best friend and then she had uh, something for you to do. So. At this time, at this point in my life, uh, after the rape, I, I was so ashamed to go to school. I refused to go to school. So I would walk out that door, but um, if, if I had to walk through the doors of the school, I was literally walking right out because I was so embarrassed and ashamed that everybody knew that I had been raped. And so I started skipping out. And I found there was a place that a lot of people, would, a lot of the kids would go. And I met this woman there. And she was 25. And I would always say the same thing because it was just the truth. She was a life-size Barbie. She was the most beautiful lady I had ever seen in real life. And everything about her, I just admired. So I was so drawn to her because I was a little Barbie collector. I had all the Barbie everything. So I was going to be Barbie too when I got older, right? And I meet this lady and she immediately recognize that, you know, I would come, but I wouldn't come with a bunch of kids. I would come by myself because I knew that's where they were going and just kind of hang out. And she introduced herself to me and she said, hey, you know, you remind me of myself when I was your age. How old are you about? 13, 14. And I was like 14. And she's like, wow, you're so beautiful. And she was saying all the things that I, you know, wanted to hear. And she even said that, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm gonna, you can call me your big sister. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I got a big sister. Now, I never had a sister. So, you know, we kind of all want that sister when you don't have one. You always want what you don't have. Um, and so I remember I used to go over there and she would ask me, uh, do you drink? And I said, drink like what? <laughs> you know, liquor. I was like, no, no, I don't drink. My mother would kill me. She's like, oh, well, you could drink over here. And I was like, oh, okay. And she asked me, do you smoke? And I'm saying, uh, no smoke what no I don't smoke you know well you can smoke over here you can do anything you want to do over here so at that point I remember just um really like I just wanted to be up under her I was to me winning right mm-hmm. I could do whatever I wanted to do I was 14 and she you know let it I'd go over there she put a little makeup on me and one day you know she began to her grooming was so subtle it was so subtle. Um, you know, she'd say things like, you know, you can have anything you want. Men will give you anything. Girls are going to be so jealous of you. You'll never have any friends. I wouldn't even try to make friends with girls. They're just going to be jealous of you. 
planting those seeds. Yeah. I bet you your friends look at you a certain way. They be jealous. Look at you. And she'd spin me around and show me how pretty I was and how built I was, and all of that. And I was eating that up, you know. Um, and she'd tell me what to say and not to say when a man approached me or, you know, you want to have a man, you want, you get this and that, you get whatever you want. And one day I remember showing up and she was sitting on the floor um, and she was a, a high yellow woman. So she, all of her emotions would show on her face, right? And she was mm -hmm. sitting on the floor and I remember her nose was really red and she was like very distraught. And I said, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not okay. I'm about to lose my house. I don't have any food. My lights are going to get turned off. I don't have any money. And I was just like, oh man, it's like panic came over me. And I thought, oh, I wish there was something I could do. And she stood up and said, there is. And I was like, oh. And I remember to this day, it was so clear. I thought, first thing went through my mind, I could steal some meat out of my mom's deep freezer. You know, everybody had deep freezers back then, right? right. I could bring her some food. And, um, she said, you know the guy, but before I could get that out, she said, you know the guy that I cook for sometime down the street? And I said, yeah. She goes, yeah. He said he'll pay you $200 if you make him breakfast. And I was like, $200? And she said, yeah. You know how to make eggs, don't you? And I said, well, yeah. You know how to make bacon? I was like, well, yeah. That's all you have to do. And I said, oh, I said, but that's a grown man. She said, you trust me, don't you? Now, she had never given me a reason not to trust her. And I just remember saying, yeah, because I did trust her. I did trust her. And she said, that's all you have to do. And it's 8 o'clock in the morning when I'm supposed to be at school. Um, she said, well, here, let me, let me get you dressed. And I was like, well, what's wrong with what I have on? Well, you got to look pretty. That's why he's going to pay you the $200. So she changed my clothes and she put me on these red high heel shoes, this blue jean mini skirt, and this red lipstick that every time I see the image, I just, I remember the first thing I said, I look like a hooker. And she said, no, you don't. You look so pretty. And I was like, I do? She was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, that's the word hooker back then, right? Yeah. And I said, well, are you going to go with me? And she said, yeah. So literally, I'm holding her hands because my knees are buckling and I'm walking down this alley at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning with her holding my hand to this man's house. And I was so nervous. I mean, my heart could just, I could just feel that whole moment right now. And um, I got to the back door. We were there and she knocked at the door and he opens the door and she had let my hand go and I was looking at him. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's like my dad's age. He looks like my dad, you know, and... Um, and he grabs my hand and I look over and she was already walking away and he pulls me in. And that was the first time um, that was the beginning of the downward spiral for my life. Because um, even though <laughs> everything that happened, I, I, I did, I was such a child. I was such a child in my brain that I really believe she still needed this money and she had no idea what this guy did to me. I went back and I told her, I'm crying. And she goes, what's wrong? And I'm, tell yeah, I'm telling everything. And she goes, oh my God. And she embraces me. She's like, that'll never happen again, ever. Here, have a drink. And on that moment, um, I'm drinking some white liquor on an empty stomach. Not shortly after, I'm throwing my guts up. And then she introduces me to freebasing cocaine.
And from then on, she was like the puppet master until that day she disappeared. But at that point, I was already stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah. We're almost almost out of time, but um, I want to mention the fact that, and there's so much more to this story. And so I encourage people to get your book, Don't Rush to Get Old. But, and so you went through all of this, call girl, whole bit, addicted to drugs and stuff, but you came out of it. And you wrote a song called I'm Free. And this song to me, I mean, there's only so much space you can put in a song, but to me, it it told the whole story. The, Absolutely. the lyrics are wonderful. We're going to play a little excerpt, not the whole thing, but enough for people to get to wet their whistle, so to speak. And they can, uh, of course, listen to the whole thing themselves. So let's pause for that. Amen. Now, this isn't your ordinary gospel, but it's the gospel, the gospel of my life. You see, I didn't choose this life. It was given to me, but I gave it to Christ, and now I'm free. It started way back when I was two years old, my body, I was too young to discover. And on those late, late nights, something wasn't right. Someone else lay there with me under the cover. As I grew, I knew that this thing was attaching itself on to me. In secret, I'm feeling all myself, touching everybody else. Lord, why did this happen to me? What do I do? Somebody help me. I'm just a little Strung out on dope, mm, lost my identity in a grown man's bed. Thoughts of suicide in my head. I never knew these things that happened was designed to make me lose my mind. I'm just a baby, but there's a baby inside of me. Lord, feels like I'm running out of time. What do I do? Okay, that is April doing I'm Free. And you can hear the whole um, song on YouTube. And it's, it's a beautiful song, so I encourage you to do that. April, there's so much to your story and so much that you're doing now, songwriter, artist, <laughs> um, and, you know, with rubies and all of those things. And you do public speaking to so, because so many people need to be aware of it. You know, there are people who live in their, their homes and they go, well, my, my children, they don't know anything about this. This wasn't, wouldn't <laughs> touch them. They have blinders on. So you are doing a lot of public speaking. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way? So if you're looking for a speaker, you can contact me um, through Ministries at gmail.com and request that speaker. 
I speak on topics <clears throat> as a lived experience expert. So um, I don't do a lot of sex trafficking survivor speaking engagements only as a lived experience expert. Um, also with sexual assault or sexual violation and abuse. So I speak on those subjects. They can reach me there. They can also reach me at 414-502-8621 if you want to call and you prefer to speak to someone. Okay, that sounds good. And the, your book, is it on Amazon? Oh, no. I have I have all the publishing rights to my own book. And right now you can all get that on Experience the Ministry of AprilBentley.com. That is my website. You can go directly to that and order directly from me. I'll send you a nice little personalized letter and um, I'll sign that book as well. So you can order the book, the music, and anything else. We have a lot of different things on the website that you can order. Excellent. April, I hate that our time went away so fast, just so quickly, and because there's so much to your story, but I thank you so much for being so open, so transparent, and sharing this with us. Um, I, what you do with the teenagers and nurturing them and helping them explore and be aware and, you know, life. It's wonderful, and the girls are learning so much, and the parents are so grateful. So, uh, so I, I encourage people to really track you down on that one because they—that yeah. is something that would be wonderful for their daughters. So, again, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, it's a, it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Thank you, Beverly. Have a wonderful day. You too. And thank Bye-bye. you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. Remember, we're a nonprofit organization, so if you're so inclined to help us out, go to our website, the411live.org. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.